I felt like I was always behind. I keep pace with the despair in the world where you'd put something on your Facebook timeline in the morning, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And by the time afternoon had come, you felt irresponsible if you didn't then share the next thing that had happened in the news to say, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Whether it will be shootings, trying to keep up with them. Did it happen in Jasper or in Las Vegas or as we're coming up to the anniversary of the shootings in Sandy Hook in Newtown? It, you can't keep up with the hurt in this world. Getting on Facebook felt like I was hopping into a pit of despair. So I just had to walk away because it wasn't like entertainment anymore. But then also, too, on a micro level, as I get to glimpse people's lives, and especially in this season, in fall and winter, you know that in October, more folks will, will feel a depressive mood than in any other time of the year. Or as we get ready for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, it begins to bring up all of these raw emotions, things that have not been said or things that have been said within our families. Places where we're not reconciled. Oh my goodness, how am I going to sit across the table from this person who we're at odds with one another for 11 months out of the year, but then at Thanksgiving we're supposed to play nice. This is the season of the year where people who are hurting and who literally are carrying illnesses in their body, oftentimes they just give up. Or they say to themselves, if I can just see my family members at Thanksgiving, then I'm going to be okay to like depart from this earth by Christmas. It stopped feeling like entertainment. And this is um, the dangerous thing, is that looking at all of the news or, or getting a glimpse of people's lives, the things of their lives that doesn't feel like entertainment, like a, an easy click of a like or, or a smiley face or a ha-ha, the things that seem so just desperate and forlorn and broken, it can cause us, even us who believe in life-giving life, to feel hopeless and as though there's nothing we can do. Or we find ourselves um, perpetually saying, where is God in the midst of this broken world? Does God even hear our prayers anymore? How many times are we going to stand behind the communion table and list off names of the young people at, in Parkland, Florida? Or, or the names of those at Pulse Nightclub in Orlando? I mean, you can begin to wonder, God, do you hear us praying to you? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And then as a practitioner of faith, I begin to feel this pressure. What am I supposed to do in this world? What am I supposed to tell you to do in this world? What are we going to do in this world? And then our Duke Divinity School intern, notice Duke, not UNC intern. Our Duke Divinity School intern reminded me of the profound words of a, a beautiful living theologian by the name of Shane Claiborne, who lives in community up in Philadelphia. Shane Claiborne has this book called Becoming the Answer to Prayer, where Shane says this, prayer is not so much about convincing God to do what we want God to do, as it is about convincing ourselves to do what God wants us to do. It's funny, um, Clay, uh, Shane actually... Um, is highlighting words that Frederick Douglass had spoken about 100 years ago when uh, Frederick Douglass said this, I prayed for 20 years but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. Basically, the question gets flipped 
of God, where are you? When we shout to the heavens, God, what are you going to do? To God may be shouting down at us, where are you? And what are you going to do? Now, am I saying that prayer doesn't matter? Oh my gosh, no, I'm not saying that. Please do not leave here and say, we don't have to pray no more, we just need to be a prayer. Please do not say that. One of our core values here at the Southeast Raleigh table is that we actually believe in the power of prayer. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to live like we believe in our prayers that we offer up to God. And we're going to explore how we can embody being the answers to our prayers. And how it is that we can change the question, God, where are you? To where are we and how are we showing up in this world. So to anchor ourselves over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to find ourselves in the fourth chapter of um, the book uh, of Ephesians, which was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and the first um, couple of verses in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. I will say this, this passage that I'm going to read is fairly long, um, and there is no way that in um, this kind of maybe 15 minutes that I can say everything that I need to say about this passage, but over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to break down some of um, the nuances that Paul has in this letter. So if you're wondering, well, gosh, Lisa just totally skipped over this thing, hold off, just just know, uh, next week you'll get part two, and then the week after that you'll get part three. But I will um, stop at certain points in the reading of the scripture that I might kind of break down a couple of things that um, I think are important for us to note for this morning. So here now, uh, my friends, Ephesians chapter four, beginning with the first verse, the first through the third verse, and then we're going to skip over to verse 17. And this is what Paul says. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul starts by um, begging us to live a life that looks like Jesus. And then in verse 17, this is what Paul continues to say. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. Now I want you to know that uh, Paul is not poo-pooing a whole group of people. He's not saying that the Gentiles are just somehow inherently bad. In fact, there were many individuals who were Gentiles, basically meaning those who were non-Jews who had become followers of Jesus. But uh, Paul is speaking to those who are without faith, those who are not Jews and those who have not also chosen to follow Jesus, these individuals who will soon become known as Christians. So basically people who live in the opposite direction of, um, of the ways of Jesus. Paul is using that term Gentiles to speak about them. He says this, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, we don't go around saying to one another, oh my gosh, that is so licentious. That's just not a term we oftentimes use in our everyday speech. But licentiousness means it's almost like when you are just like um, hoarding, hoarding the ways that, um, that are sinful and impure. You know when we say that someone just feels like they're lost to their darkness? 
That's what licentiousness has that kind of nuance when you are just so far gone that um, there's no sense that maybe you might be able to be lifted up or that you choose to kind of like own your life in, in the pit. But this is what uh, Paul says in verse 20. That is not the way you learn Christ. The licentious life is not how you learned Christ. For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirits of your minds and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let, their labor and let them work, labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with the seal for the day of redemption. Let me just uh, stop there. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Basically, don't say that the Spirit of God lives within you, and then you'd be doing something that's totally opposite um, to the way in which Jesus might affect and touch your life. That's how you grieve the Holy Spirit. It's like when a parent says, I taught my child better than that, and they're out here in these streets doing all kind of crazy stuff. Don't grieve the Spirit by saying, oh, I'm a Spirit-filled person, and I'm going to be so mean to the person beside me. That would grieve the spirit, that we, we, what, what has kind of been placed on us as a label, we choose not to live in that particular direction. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. God, this is a lot. A lot of words, a lot of instructions, a lot to take in. But you, oh God, you're merciful and you are kind. So you don't force feed us your word. You meet us exactly where we are. And you speak to us in such a way that we can hear exactly what it is that we need to hear from you this day. So Lord, would you turn down the volume and all the voices that that might seek to distract us. The voices within and the voices beyond us. That we might hear your still small voice alone, offering to us a word of grace or a word of love or a word of knowledge. But gracious God, whatever you do, speak to us. Speak tenderly to us. Speak powerfully to us because your servants are listening. We ask all of this in the strong name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. 
So here's a question that all of us should be able to relate to because we've either been asked this question or we have asked other people this question. Every single time um, we are approached as children or we approach children, we almost inevitably ask them this, what do you want to be when you grow up? A child who might be in kindergarten, doesn't know how to read, doesn't know how to drive, doesn't know how to type up a TPS report, we ask them, tell me, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because we actually believe that children have a conception and an imagination for, um, for what they believe they can be and who they want to be in this world, like how they want to navigate space when they actually grow up and they get a little bit older. We also believe of children, I know some of this might be true for uh, parents that uh, that kids aren't going to stay right where they are, but that one day they are going to grow in such a way um, that they have more skills than they did when they were three, more skills than they had when they were five, more skills than they had when they were seven, 10, 18, when they leave your home. So constantly we are asking children, tell us what is the imagination that you have for your life? And I think it would be a helpful exercise as those who are asking children this question all the time, that we might ask children of God, people of faith, quite often this question, who do you want to look like as you grow up in the faith? I want you to hear this question one more time. Who do you want to look like? What do you want to look like as you grow up in the faith. Because I would hope that we would have an imagination for what growth actually looks like as those who are followers of Jesus. I would hope that when we first said, yes, Jesus is the Lord of my life, or yes, I want to be a part of a church community that might leverage my gifts and help me to more fully lean in the direction of God, that where I am today, I am not going to be there a month from now or a year from now or 10 years from now, that we continue to also grow in what it means to be learners of Jesus, that how we start and how we end, it doesn't look the same way. That we would actually have an imagination for what it looks like to have a Christ-soaked life. Now, the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter of Ephesians help us to get a glimpse of what it might actually look like to grow into a Christ-soaked life for us to have an imagination of not just staying put where we are, but actually growing in the faith. This is what, um, what Paul says to, to those who have uh, learned Christ or who are being made more in the likeness of Jesus. He says that people who look like Christ or who look like Jesus, they don't lie, don't bear any falsehood, but be, um, be truthful to, to your neighbors. Paul says that we are... Um, to have righteous anger, but don't let your anger cause harm. In fact, Paul says this, don't let like the devil, don't make room for the devil. Basically, you know when you start to get so angry that when you're taking a shower, you start to go through all of these scenarios of how you might actually like clap back at a person or get back on somebody. I mean, like you start to make room for the devil because your anger starts to get real creative, you know? And Paul says that those who are made in the likeness of Jesus they might have a righteous anger when there are things that would grieve God begin to grieve you, but that you don't begin to just like stew in your anger, that you become an angry person. Paul says, don't steal or don't live in such a way that you rob others from having life. 
that your desire to have so much actually keeps others from having anything at all. He says, let no evil talk come from your mouths. Build up with your words. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Basically, let your whole life be consistent that who you say you are, let that be the way in which you operate and move in this world. Don't be bitter or wrathful. Be kind. You know what's interesting is we oftentimes say, oh, we need to practice random acts of kindness, but that's not biblical. What's biblical is to be kind to intentionally move through this world in such a way that folks who are hurting and despairing might bump up against kindness just in the overflow of your life. Be tenderhearted. Forgive one another in the same way that Jesus Christ forgave you. Paul says that if anyone was to come up to you and say, who do you want to be as you're growing up in faith in Christ Jesus, that you could say, I want to be a person who's less bitter, who's not as wrathful, who's not always thinking about how I'm going to get vengeance on other people. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be tenderhearted. I'm not going to hold on to a whole lot of bitterness and keep a winning and a losing column in the ways in which I broker my relationships. I'm going to forgive others in the same way that Jesus has forgiven me, which means that sometimes it's going to hurt just a little bit, but I'm going to get over the hump to know the grace and mercy of Jesus. That's what it looks like when I grow up in Jesus. That's who I want to be. And then the humdinger in the fifth chapter, Paul says, therefore, whenever Paul says, therefore, it's kind of like, wah, get ready. You know, it's the violin music in the movie. Therefore, be imitators of God. Paul is basically saying to the church in Ephesus, when your life looks like this, you look like God. So that when anyone asks you, who do you want to be when you grow up? I want to look like God when I grow up in the faith. Be imitators of God. That if you do this, the one who created the heavens and the earth and made all things above and below and who made us to look like God, we can actually be like God. What's important to note about this passage of scripture is that this is not some fleeting notion. Like some are just hardwired to be able to live this kind of life, or that some of us, you know, maybe in the fifth year of being a Christian, we might be able to like sip from the cup of kindness or tenderheartedness. This isn't some, you know, just hold your head at the right angle and open up your heart at just the right degree, and then maybe your life might look like this. It's not some fleeting notion. Paul tells us earlier in the scripture that we actually learn how to do these things. When Paul says, listen, Put away all licentiousness and impurity. Basically, don't, don't fall in love with your old life, the life that made you look like and resemble the world. And then Paul says this, like, emphatically, that is not how you learned Christ. I want you to hear that. That is not how you learned Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ. I love this language. Learning Christ is how we actually see what Jesus is doing, and then we choose to do those same things. It's watching how Jesus eats, and we want to eat like Jesus. It's walking so closely to Jesus, the rabbi, our teacher, that we are covered in the dust of our rabbi. 
that we get so up close and personal to Jesus that we actually begin to take on the characteristics of Jesus. Paul is saying that this, this life, being kind and tenderhearted, forgiving other individuals, is not just something that can happen to some people and then 75% of folks, it might not happen, but that if we keep our eyes open and if we watch Jesus closely enough and then we begin to operate in faith and try to do the things that Jesus does, we will actually begin to learn how to be like Jesus. Paul says that when we got access to Jesus, when we saw the way in which Jesus healed and loved and was merciful and gracious, we began to say, I want to be gracious like Jesus. I want to be loving like Jesus. I want to be merciful like Jesus. I want to be compassionate like Jesus. I want to welcome people to the table the way that Jesus welcomed people to the table. I want to touch those that the world says do not touch because Jesus touched people in those ways. I want to actually offer up forgiveness in ways that are so generous and beautiful that people might begin to think, ah, is this one of those little Christs? One who has learned the ways of Jesus. My friend, Regine um, Jean-Baptiste, she often um, challenges me by saying that my belief system and my doctrine and my theology might make me a believer. But the way in which I live like Jesus, that's what makes me a disciple. That how I actually begin to live like Jesus, that is what makes me a disciple. So here's the simple thing that we have to ask ourselves. Who would Jesus be if Jesus were any of us? That's what it is to be a disciple. That you have learned Jesus so closely, that you are keeping your eyes on Jesus so closely, that you become so much like Jesus that people begin to get you confused with the one who is making you new. And this is what uh, Paul tells us. He says, stop doing the things that make you look like you are in the world and begin doing the things that will make you look like you are being shaped in Christ. I want to just tell you a very quick um, a very quick story. There's a gentleman that I know who um, had a major conversion experience. I mean, like his whole life was like turned upside down, where he recognized that all the trappings of the world really just left an empty hole within him, that the hole that he had in his life was a God-sized hole that could only be shaped by who is the great lover of our souls. And so he decided to do a complete 180. But one day when we were having conversation, he said, but there's one aspect of my life there is one aspect of my life that I think that people would not believe that I'm a Christ follower if they ever took a glimpse of this part of my life. And I asked him, tell me. He was like, oh, the way I pop off on Facebook. If anyone saw my Facebook timeline, they would not believe that I was a follower of Jesus. And I said to him, well, can we change that? Can you begin to think differently about the ways in which Jesus has shaped your life, what you have learned of Jesus that it might actually translate in the ways in which you try to communicate messages to your how many friends you've got in this world. Our faith 
Living like disciples of Jesus Christ, it doesn't have to always come in these grandstand moments about what you have done and what you have not done. But instead, sometimes the way in which people get us confused with Jesus is in the small things that we do. Were we actually kind to the person at Food Lion? Did we look our waiter or waitress in the eye? That when we are a little bit frustrated, did we call someone by their first name or did we just call them, hmm? Are we choosing to be at peace with ourselves and choosing to be at peace with literally the person beside us, our neighbors, who sometimes parks a little too closely to our driveway? Sometimes it is in those small little moments when we need to not hold on to wrath or bitterness, when we need to be tenderhearted and kind, that we actually show the world what Jesus looks like. And it's not fleeting for us to look like Jesus. We learn what it is to be like Jesus. This world is crazy. This world is broken. This world is despairing. This world feels so lost and so overwhelmed with grief. And then I look at you all. Those who call yourself little Christs, who when people ask you, how is it that you wanna show up for the world as you're growing up in Christ and you're like, oh, let me just show you how kind I can be and how tenderhearted I can be and how forgiving I can be and how compassionate I can be and how merciful I can be. I've seen it with my own eyes how Jesus has shown up for me and this is how I want to grow up and show up in the world. So when we see another mass shooting and we begin to pray for peace, you have to start with the question, am I peace? When you watch people literally drag each other through the, through the mud and use shame as a means of manipulating other people, you have to ask yourself, do I use my worlds to build up or to tear down? When your heart grieves, thinking about children who are detained and separated from their families. Am I a vision of compassion and also of justice? When we see hateful rhetoric and people being dehumanized, do I embody love or do I embody hate? If you want to see more compassion in this world, then we have to be the answer to the prayer, and we've got to embody it. If you want people to be more forgiving in this world, we have to be the answer to our prayers, and we have to embody it. If we want people to speak like they're not absolutely crazy, we need to be the answer to the prayers of this world and woo people with our words that are so beautiful that they will stop using sword words, but instead will take on plowshare words to heal our land. We 
have access to Jesus and we see what Jesus has done and we can be like Jesus, like an answer to our very prayers. So this is always my practice. Next week, we'll continue to talk about what it looks to embody these practices. But first, we have to start with, what do we need to hand over to God where we might just be failing a bit? So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And I'm going to invite us into honest reflection. What area of your life looks more like you learned it the world's way than Jesus' way? Is it your temper? Is it the length of time that you hold a grudge? Is it that you're only kind to those who are kind to you? But your tongue is as sharp as a sword to those who you make into the other. Are there ways that you hold on so tightly that you see how it actually squeezes out life for others? Do you stir with anger? Do you stew in anger? Do you churn with anger? Do you see yourself as angry? Sometimes in order to learn the ways of Jesus, we have to be honest about where we need to unlearn the ways of the world. Gracious God, we come to you as an open space for you to touch our hearts, for you to draw near to our lives, that God, we would keep our eyes open and our footsteps in step with yours, that we would be able to learn the ways in which you navigated the hopelessness and the despair in this world. That God, when we pray for more peace, that we would be peace. When we wish people would be more compassionate, that we would first start with ourselves. When spaces feel like pressure cookers, that we would come, and that we would offer up a balm with our very lives. God, we oftentimes ask you, where are you? Now we want to have the confidence and the stillness and the openness for you to look at us and to ask, where are we? And how are we? And who are we going to choose to be in this world.
So God, may the process of unlearning, though uncomfortable, be the place we lean in. So that with our hands open and our hearts open and our lives open, we might learn a new way. We ask all of this and offer ourselves to you. In the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen.